The following program is a proud member of the Palaver family of podcasts. Check out all the shows over at palaver.com. That's P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Can I eat this roast beef? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 144. I am Large William, and across the border from me, in an air-conditioned vehicle, is the one and only Sammy. Yes, on the on the cell phone again, going high high tech on everybody. Cell phone stylies. He's uh, picking up some Wi-Fi. We're doing this one. It's it's another one of our our much uh, much loved, vaunted night recordings. <laughs> so there'll be there'll be talk of camel toe and moose knuckle and pepperoni nipples and all sorts of. Uh, Good stuff here. So, yeah, this is uh, yeah, this is when we kind of had to cobble together. We, you know, schedules being what they were, we, you know, we're trying to do things on the fly, and thankfully, technology is able to uh, work with us and get this stuff out. So, um, yeah, I guess what I'll do is I'll kick it over to you, and I'll see what you've watched this week. Do you know what you've watched this week? Do you have it written down, or? Yeah, I do, but we didn't even talk about what we were covering yet. So see, better... out of the gates, I'm tripping over the first hurdle. So what we're covering this week is uh, two films, uh, as always. The format's worked through 143, so let's do it for 144. Uh, my pick was a film from 1975. Uh, it's an Umberto Lenzi film, Manhunt in the City, starring with the one, the only, Henry Silva. And, uh, of course, yes. Sammy, Sammy's pick was, uh, we're going to fast forward 21 years, and uh, another... GGTMC great, The Boz, Brian Bosworth, in a film called One Tough Bastard, a.k.a. One Man's Justice. So, yes. a.k.a. AKA Boz doesn't have the best hair in, fil- in the film anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. <This is> true. <laughs> yes, and both both of our leads dress like Sundays, or like, uh, they dress like uh, professors. <laughs> yeah, they do. They totally do. It's, uh, there's there's a few other, few other parallels that, one that I just thought of, the whole... Um, catalyst for their revenge it's uh, it's ironic oh, yeah, yeah. really ironic that it worked out that way but uh, we'll we'll get to that on uh, as we roll in here so in saying that uh, i got excited what have you been watching this week i only watched a couple things actually i've only watched one extra thing this week i've been very busy and some crazy stuff you those of you following me on twitter know a lot of work uh, drama and stuff i just filled will in a little bit before we started recording so uh uh, so it's been kind of a wacky week, but I did watch something the week previous that I forgot to mention, which was uh, The Gits. It's a documentary about uh, the band The Gits, and uh, that lead singer was uh, unfortunately she was murdered. She was uh, raped and murdered. Uh, she was part of the. They were part of the Seattle sound. They weren't really grunge. They were more like a punk rock type band and stuff. I know uh, Doc Zom's a big fan and stuff. It's a really gripping documentary, really good stuff. She's buried about uh I think I calculated maybe 10 to 12 miles from my front porch. Holy fuck. So yeah, she's from Louisville. So uh you know, one of our uh, unfortunate claims of fame. She's buried in the same graveyard as Mr. William Girdler, about 10 or 12 yards from my, 
my front oh, porch. Wow. Who's our our famous exploitation filmmaker? He's buried yeah. right down the road from me. So, so uh, yeah, she's buried in that cemetery and stuff. But it's it's a really really good uh, documentary, really solid. Uh, especially Will, I definitely I don't know if you've seen it, but you should definitely check it out. I think I, you really like it. I wanted to, man. I I remember hearing about it when it came out, and I really wanted to see it. And then Zom watched it, and I was like, man, I got. I reminded me, and then of course it. The goldfish memory kicked in, and I forgot about it until you'd said it. But no, I definitely want to make a note to uh, to check it out because it did sound fantastic. Yeah, it's really good stuff. And uh, the only other thing I watched, I watched it this morning before uh, I went to work. My son got up really early today, so he went back to sleep, and he wasn't feeling well. He had a little bit of a fever, so I had some time to watch a film. I squeezed one in. Um, this one I had no no aspirations for, none. I just thought it'd be kind of a standard run-of-the-mill film. It's a film uh, of 2010 called Trust. Uh, it's um, directed by Ross himself, David Schwimmer. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, uh, I thought, okay, well, it'll be pretty standard uh, internet stalking type stuff and all that stuff. This turned out to be a really, really well-acted film. Uh, Catherine Keener is really good in it. Clive Owen is fucking brilliant in it. I don't even know how... He, I don't know if because the film didn't get a wide release or what, but I mean, I think he's, I think he's as good as Aaron Eckhart was in Rabbit Hole, easily. Oh wow! Uh, I mean, he's really, really good. And I know you, you're, you like Clive Owen, right? You like I him. am a major fan of, of Clive Owen, and I also really like uh, Catherine Keener. It should be said. Yeah, she's really good in the film as well. The film is really gripping. Uh, it doesn't take the exploitation road. Uh, which some might find disappointing, uh, not because it deals with internet stalkery and pedophilia and stuff, not that kind of exploitation. It just, it kind of gets onto a revenge thing, but it's really more about how this type of stuff can really do a lot of damage to families and things like that. And there's some moments in it that are really, really chilling stuff. And of course, if you're, you know, a new parent or even a parent of a teenager or anything, I mean, this is, this is as horrifying as any horror film. Because it gets you thinking about how, yeah, it gets you thinking about how this is very possible, and uh, you know, it makes you think. You know, I'm you know, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on all these things and stuff, all the social media. Either way, I recommend the film. It's a very sure hand direction from David Schwimmer. I was very impressed. It's not going to rewrite film history, but uh, I didn't expect this from him. This kind of sure handed 100 minute film, but. Uh, yeah, it's really, really good stuff, man. Definitely check it out. It was a tiff, and it was really one of those ones that I knew I would have access to, so I wouldn't see it. Now, I will say this. Friends might be my least favorite show of all time. Yes. Um, <laughs> David Schumer might be, in terms of him as Ross, might be one of my least favorite people of all time. Now, <laughs> in saying that, um, I have to give it up to Schwimmer because I think – very, very quietly, he's becoming an interesting director. Um, mm-hmm. I know he did some episodes of Little Britain. I know he did Run Fat Boy Run, which, which I actually thought it was better than I thought it was going to be. It was good. Yeah, I liked it. I didn't. It wasn't outstanding, but no. it was very. It was entertaining. Yeah, it, it didn't offend me. It wasn't a comedy that offended me with its its stupidity and, and aggressive yeah. stupidity. It had <laughs> had some funny moments, and I'm not a Simon Pegg fanboy, and I know you're not either, so I was very pleasantly surprised that I enjoyed it as much as I did. So I think he's really shown that um, between uh, you know doing comedy and then doing something a lot more chilling like Trust, he's kind of showing that you know maybe there's a little more there than, than we thought. Yeah, two films that couldn't be more different, and that kind of tells me that, uh, you know, he's one to watch behind the screen. And I know that he's not really interested in acting too much anymore. He's more interested in filmmaking, so mm-hmm. 
this tells me that uh, you know between those two films, one's good and one is much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he's 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 going to be one to watch, man. You know, and he's you know, he's a trained actor. I mean, I think he's from the Steppenwolf Theater. I think all that stuff and all that stuff. I think he's into that. But I mean, you know, it's one of those things where you know he got a gig and it became a hit and he became you know you know became synonymous with a character. So. Mm-hmm. That's the way it goes. But hey, you know what? If it gets him making more films, I'm all for it. So. Yeah, no, definitely, man. He's 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 got something to say. You know, he's not just pandering to the lowest common denominator, which uh, which is good. I, for some reason, I thought he directed some of the Band of Brothers stuff. That was the first time I had ever seen him, and I thought, you know what? Maybe there's something here with this guy because he was good in yeah, that. Yeah. So. Well, well you know, good. I mean, you know, it's the same thing. You know, I mean, sitcoms and things like that. I mean, you know, they you know those guys work, they pay the bills too. You know. And, of course, some of them get lucky and they get this gig that pays millions and millions of dollars over ten years. But, um, you know, obviously he has talent outside of that. Maybe the most talented member of that cast, uh, which is odd. I never thought I'd ever say that. <laughs> Let me just quickly think about that. Oh, I'll tell you, I hate Aniston. As as I'm, <laughs> I'm not shy about saying, yeah, he might be. He might be. You know, Perry looked like he was going to be the, you know, the real the real deal. Uh, Certainly, yeah. Joey Tribune. You know what? I got to get off this Friends talk, man. It's my, it's our fucking show, and we're talking about Friends. <laughs> Jesus. But uh, but yeah, no. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's all I watch. That's all I watch. I definitely recommend checking out Trust, though. Although, uh, do be prepared. It is. Uh, it's not. Uh, it's not the most pleasant material, and uh, it it can get pretty infuriating pretty quick. So be prepared for that. It sounds like a perfect, a pitch perfect softball for my wife, like for us to, for me to say, hey, here's sort of a common ground pick. That's what it seems like to me. Yeah, I'd be interested to hear her thoughts on it too. But uh, it's definitely, let me say this, it's definitely not a first date movie. <laughs> no, yeah, definitely not, definitely not. <laughs> you're gonna be, you're gonna be giving off the wrong vibe if you push out of that movie. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine I would, man. But uh, no, good. No, I'll look into that one then, man. And like I said, I have a big man crush on Owen. He's he's quieted down in the past few years, which is too bad. But uh, I think yeah. uh, personally, man, I think he's brilliant in this film. I think it's some of the best acting I've ever seen from him, and he does a lot of good acting. So yeah, he's he's fucking. He really he really had me going. I mean, he really had me going in this film. Yeah, he's he's definitely one of my favorites working today, man. Just outstanding. So that's good, man. That's really good. Um, my week was a little different. I didn't get much neither. It's, it's a short week for the GGTMC because we recorded, I think, Wednesday, and now we're recording on a Monday. So a yeah. c- couple less days than we would normally record, uh, get into watch movies. So I only watched um, uh, one, two, three, four films, actually. Um, the first one I watched was completely, completely different from uh, Trust, and that was Ticker. And Ticker is directed by Albert Pyun. Now, oh, nice. <laughs> Ticker is on Netflix Instant and here in Canada. And Ticker has Tom Sizemore, uh, Steven Seagal, and Peter Green as detectives. Oh. Um, and not to mention Nas. That sounds, well, yeah, he's got to have a hip-hop artist in there. It sounds promising. Well, it sounds promising, but it sounds is the operative word. Now, you know, I, I watch this, and Nas and Sizemore play uh, cops or partners in this. And watching Nas act in this film makes me question how I ever defended him in Belly, because he might he might have the worst scene of someone who's been shot and dying in a film in the history of cinema. It is so. It, it's almost like someone has like a tummy ache and is sleepy. Like it's just so bad, man. It's so bad. And Seagal, uh, he's like this Zen, <laughs> like the Zen bomb fucking uh, bomb squad guy, and. You know, Sizemore's on the edge, and but but here's the thing, the bad guys in it. This is this is to kind of 
to, to for you, the bad guys are, are, are rogue IRA types, and it's Dennis Hopper and, and uh, Kevin Gage. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. So it's uh, and I think I, I said on Facebook, it seems like Pion got a, a ten for one deal on three quarter length leather coats because everyone's <laughs> wearing one in this film. So not very good though. I mean, it has a few moments that we can talk about with the cast and stuff, but really, you know, it wasn't as fun as it should have been. It's funny, you know, we always talk about Pion. Uh, you know, I like him as a director and stuff, but, I mean, obviously a lot of his films aren't very great, uh, or even good for that matter. Uh, but he somehow he gets these casts. Yeah. I, I don't know how he does it. He must be a hell of a salesman. That's all I can say. Yeah, well, he, you know, he's made certainly some really entertaining films. Um, it's oh, just, yeah. It's yeah, just, yeah, sometimes, man, they're just, it's like they can't get out of fucking first gear. This was one of those, like, you'd think with that cast and everything I've talked about, it sounds like a rompy time, but... You know, it's probably about a four at best, which, okay. is, which is unfortunate, which is unfortunate. There is, is. A, there is a part when Steven Seagal inexplicably doubles as a blues singer with a goatee and a pork pie hat. Yeah, well, that might be worth me watching it. That and the death scene might be worth me checking it out. Yeah, the sure. Nas death scene is pretty fantastic. Um, <laughs> next up, I watched one that had eluded me for a long time, and I know you're a fan. As far as I remember, I know Uncool Cat's a big fan. He was really pushing it on me, and it was uh, Oliver Stone Salvador. Ah uh, yes, I like Stone. You know, I think you and I have talked about Stone a lot. How we both really admire him. We we dig his work. We think he's he's become a bit of an easy target for people. But you know, one of the better directors of our time. Um, and I'd never seen mm -hmm. Salvador. Big Jimmy Woods fan. Uh, inversely proportional to my love for Woods is my loathing of the Belushi. Uh, yes. But I'd, he I'd heard he was good in this. Uh, he was serviceable in this. I didn't hate him. <laughs> Um, but he, he's, to me, he was, you know, he's really Jimmy with the Jimmy Woods show. Uh, I think he's one of those guys that, you know, when it's all said and done, we're going to look at him as, and see 25 really fucking good performances on his resume. Oh yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah, he's, he's awesome. Uh, so I quite enjoyed it. I thought the film did feel a bit like, um, you, you could really get the sense that, Oliver Stone was doing a lot of cocaine when he made this film because it felt a bit unfocused. Yeah, you know? yeah. and we know for a fact he was doing a lot of cocaine when he was making that film, so, yeah, I can see that. You know, I mean, it, it definitely, if you didn't know it was directed by Oliver Stone, you could still tell without seeing the credits. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely got him written all over it. Just him with, him with white powder all over his nose written all over it. Yeah, oh, totally. Totally. Next up was a, a pleasant surprise for me. I didn't have a lot of interest in it, despite having a strong cast. And I don't know if you've seen this one. It was uh, Company Men. With, uh, uh, I know about it. It's, it's, it's one, yeah, it's one of those ones that got away from me. Uh, I know about it. Uh, I heard some good things and some not-so-good things. Kind of back and forth on things on that one. I liked it, man. I thought it was solid. You know, solid seven territory for me. Uh, good cast, good All turns right. from everyone. As always, you know, Tommy Lee Jones knocks it out. Ben Affleck's good. Chris Cooper's Chris Cooper. I mean, quality performance. Uh, the Craig T. Nelson, the coach, he uh, he comes correct as a pretty uh, pretty ruthless suit in this one. Uh, Maria Bello gets nice. naked, so you know you know what to expect. Um, yeah. It it doesn't. There's there's moments when you roll your eyes at. Um, some of the the obvious heavy-handed beats it it follows, but in saying that, it is a solid Hollywood um, adult film. So yeah, it's funny you say that. I should say the same thing about Trust. It there are a couple moments where it's like, oh come on, you didn't really have to go there. But again, saying that it is a, it's the same thing, a solid seven out of ten type film. Yeah, no, for sure. 
So for sure. So okay, good. And then the last one I watched was one that uh, seems right up your alley. Uh, when the boy is a wee bit older, and that was Rango. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, did you like Rango? I did. I thought it was good. It wasn't the be-all, end-all as far as uh, kids' mm-hmm. films, but it it looks beautiful. I mean, just yeah. beautiful. Te- the textures and there's some really great call-outs uh, to film fans. Like, there's a Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas moment. Uh, there's a cameo that I don't want to spoil. That is just it's it's it sort of pseudo cameo and you'll know what I mean when you see it mm-hmm. um, there's a moment when well I'll tell you to, to know the attention that they paid to their craft um, I, you know I was looking at the credits because I wanted to see because it felt like it was a really well made film to me it wasn't one that uh, you know didn't feel sloppy like you know a lot of kids movies we always talk about uh, they tend to be mm, a little bit uh, loosey goosey exploitive and just kind of you know not really much effort lazy I guess would be. Well, yeah, they're t- they're typically they're typically A B C right. I mean, yeah. you got this, you got your, you know, your narrative hook, and then you got your climax, or whatever. So yeah. So. Yeah, but but you but know that one's did, directed by Gore Verbinski, so yeah, I expect you know I expect it to be more of a film as opposed to just an animated film. Well, you're right there, but you know who was the uh, cinematographer on it? Roger Deakins. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say Seal, but it was Deakins. I get those two confused sometimes. I don't know why. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure, but uh, you know it looks really good. There's even a call out to the High Plains Drifter poster, like yes. that angle when they got that wooden sign hanging. So no, it, you know it was good, man. It was it was a good kids film. So I think I'm go. gonna like it. I think I'm gonna like it strictly because it, like a lot of animated films, it does hark on stuff that we know about. But this one tends to really like hit the sweet spot. Like as a lot of uh, and even Brian uh, Rupert has told me the same thing. It hits a lot of things that I really adore about cinema. So I think I probably will dig it. I was gonna buy it on Blu-ray for like 10 bucks and I went to go buy it and they were sold out and oh. it was a one day coupon type thing and I was like fuck and so I didn't pick it up and uh, I haven't picked it up yet but I'll pick it up at some I think I'm just going to buy it because uh, I've heard everybody's told me that it looks amazing so yeah you know. it's it is and I'll tell you Bryn nailed it he said it's Chinatown slash Once Upon a Time in the West for kids oh that's good enough reason I mean that, yeah. that, that would be me to hook I mean that's not just a show it to my son someday but also just for me alone because i'm down with the chinatown in once upon a time in the west so i'm okay <laughs> oh absolutely man absolutely so that's everything man i think uh which one do you want to cover first um let's do uh let's do one man's justice first that's what i got right here let's do one tough bastard i guess first huh? okay let's do it so we're gonna take a short break and come back with one tough bastard <laughs> Are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like? Whether it's music, movies, TV, or whatever you're into, head on over to the Palaver.com forums. <clears throat> yes, but forums and message boards are elitist and archaic. Well, yeah, maybe if you're an asshole. Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com.
get into some boss. Uh, we had set off the air that it's been a long time coming. We've been about 141 episodes between boss. So that's a little, little too long. That's a, that's, a, that's a hell of a draft spell with no boss. It is, you know, it uh, it was time it was long overdue, and, and we should say that this episode is dedicated to our our dear friend in Norway, the one and only the Stone Cold Norwegian Beef uh, Bjornar. Yeah. So this kind of came about through a Facebook conversation. We were talking about the Boz and and uh, the Silva, and just kind of said, "Hey, let's do this." And, and yeah, and if that if there's any better reason to follow us on Facebook, friend us on Facebook, or join the group, there you go. You could actually inadvertently end up programming an episode of the GGTMZ. Yeah, that's what it was. It. Uh, and it worked out, you know. So, um, also, I'm, now, just so everyone knows, I have internet, you don't. Um, so, I'm going to be, well, not in the sort of a conventional sense that we normally do. So, I'm going to be synopsizing both films this week. And uh, with this one, this was your pick. Uh, I'm going to synopsize it and then, I guess, jump into it. Unless you wanted to, for some reason, jump into it first. Uh, no, no, no. I'll let you take the lead on this one. So, okay. uh, yeah. I, I mean, I could synopsize because basically it's a, a story about a... Uh, army drill sergeant who uh you know it's basically it's it's similar to commando mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In, in a lot of ways uh and uh basically it's bosworth uh you know and there's some gun deals and uh, a bag athlete by bruce payne that's i don't know if i don't know i won't state right now if he's one for the ages but i will say he is one i will I, say that i will state that he is one for the ages Okay. Okay. I, I was waiting to see. I was waiting to see where we go with the review first to, to make a statement or not. But uh, we'll see. But uh, yeah, basically, it's uh, him. Uh, some things happen. It's basically a revenge thriller. Uh, you know, with the boss playing an army drill sergeant, which at least is a lot better than the last film I watched him in, where he played a CIA agent slash geologist. Yes, so. <laughs> a virus, or I forget what it's called in the states. Yeah, yeah, virus, or uh, uh, fuck, I forget what it's called too, man. Something else. <laughs> Yeah, and and we should say that you know along with with the boss and the pain, bringing the pain, Jeff Cobra, a character actor who I know from the Baby Doll Murders, which is one of the sleaziest um, <laughs> kind of slasher films uh, of the early '90s. Uh, Neil McDonough, very young looking, very Jason Priestley esque in this. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. And the one and only, please hammer, don't hurt him. <laughs> yes. Oakland's native son. Uh, MC Hammer as Dexter Kane. Yes, yes, and it's directed by Kurt Wimmer, who directed uh, Equilibrium and uh, Traviolet. That uh, that uh, film with uh, what's her name? That uh, girl who looks like a twelve-year-old boy. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think uh, Zom's gonna want to have pistols at dawn. I think he's a big Mila fan, but well, you know, I, she she's a type, and uh, I typically like that type some some, but uh, she for some strange reason she just doesn't do it for me. I think she's an okay actress. I don't think yeah. she's bad, but I just yeah, she has fun. I, she doesn't do it for me. She's not sexually appealing to me. Isn't uh, she doesn't really drive me wild? Isn't she married to Paul W S Anderson? Uh, I think so now, right? Wasn't she originally like married to Luke Besson or something like that? Mm, something like I don't that. Know. <clears throat> Yeah, something she, like that. She gets around, man. She gets around. Yeah, that's how she rolls. But uh, yeah, I hope, never, I hope we never interview. That's going to be an uncomfortable callback there. Yeah, it certainly would. It certainly would. Um, but you know, it's ironic. This film, we're doing the Silva and the Boz on the NFL Hall of Fame weekend. Yeah, that is that is ironic. <laughs> In kind of a grand way for us, it certainly is. Um, yeah, Wimmer, an interesting guy, man. You know, you'd think. 
this is a guy that you know. Say what you will about Ultraviolet because it's a it's a bit of a mixed bag. Visually, visually looks great. Uh, this film is I think you're going to see. I know that we're going to co- completely reveal our hand here in the opening, but certainly not a turd. And I think a lot of people would agree that um, Equilibrium is one of the easily one of the most underappreciated uh, genre films of the '90s or, or early 2000s, whenever it came out. Yes, yes. He shoots. Uh, he he created that whole gun fu thing. He. He shoots action really well. Uh, he's a very competent director. Um, yeah, Ultraviolet's a little bit of a well, it's a lot of a mess actually, but yeah, I, it does have its fans. Uh, and I have I've never seen the whole film, but I've seen some of the action scenes. They're still very confident and stuff. He's a good director. I hope he makes more stuff. He, I mean, he he does some interesting stuff. But I am a big fan of uh, Equilibrium, and uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'll talk about this film too as we go along here. And I think he's written some stuff too that I like. I think he's. Yeah, he's written, written some really good stuff, actually. Yeah, uh, I can't. I don't have the internet in front of me, so I'm I not. Can, I'm no, I don't sound like a genius. Well, let me tell you what he. Let me tell you what he wrote. Just, just let me break down a few for you to kind of show his diversity. The first film he ever wrote, he was a man after our heart in 1992 because he wrote Double Trouble, the uh, of course the Paul brothers, the Barbarian brothers oh, yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> film. Yes. <laughs> so he wrote that. Um, uh, what else do we got here? A Thomas Crown Affair. Uh, mm-hmm. Of course, it was adapted from, I guess, the original, but nonetheless, Equilibrium, yeah. The Recruit, Ultraviolet, Street Kings, Law Abiding Citizen, Salt, and he's writing the Total Recall uh, reboot. So, yeah, yeah, that's what I remember. I remember he wrote Salt, which I liked, and yeah. I know you like you liked it too, yeah, right? It was and, Salt, uh, man. And uh, then uh, that other one too, the one right before that, uh, I can't remember what you said. Law Abiding but... Citizen, which which starts yeah. off fantastic, but becomes a very heavy handed moral mess. Well, and I agree with you. It, it's up until a certain point, I was really, really, really into law-abiding citizen. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun, and you know, it's kind of wrath of God. Uh, Gerard Butler chewing it up, and he's a mixed bag for me. But then it becomes yeah, the moral heavy-handed mess, and off the rails it goes. Which I think is more the studio than him, if I had to guess. Probably, probably. But uh, you know, okay. So we talked about Wimmer, and of course, we know what we're getting with Boz, and and you know, a little bit we'll, we'll get into pain here, so you can see what we're getting. In. He brings the pain. Um, <laughs> what's interesting with this one is we've gone from uh, you know sort of the height of of Boz with Stone Cold, and now this is what was ninety uh, one, let's say. So this is about five six years later, and I have to say, in all seriousness, you know, this is a non mulleted Boz, right? This is a leaner yes. Boz, uh, older. And, and wiser, I think. And, you know, one thing I will say about this film, uh, you know, because it opens up with like a kind of intense kind of running up these uh, rocks and his daughter's timing him and blah, blah, blah. But I have to say, and I do mean this in all sincereness, in the early scenes in this film and, in fact, throughout the film, um, it seems to be a much humbler, more sincere, more mature Brian Bosworth. Yes, it's, uh, it's, you know, I mean, Stone Cold is more of a over-the-top kind of a take on his personality a little bit, you know, because mm-hmm. he's notorious for being very outspoken and, you know, flamboyant and all of those things. But this film is more, you know, it's more, I mean, he was playing a dad, and I think he did a, a good job at playing a dad. I mean, there is a, a scene at a bedside that struggles with his acting a little bit, but, you know, you got to give the guy credit. I mean, he really dialed back the Bosness. Mm-hmm. In, in this film, and uh, you know, I, I I bought him as a as a fight instructor or drill instructor yeah. at the the Army Corps. There, I, I bought that. He was good. I mean, the physical stuff he does really well, and you have to think that he definitely does have some martial arts training because 
you know, uh, Wimmer does know how to shoot action, and the action in this is he sold me on it. Now, I will say this mm-hmm. as much as he sold me on the physical aspect of it, him doing a fourth rate Arlie Ermy at times when he's in drill camp instructor mode was kind of like, Oh God, just, just be the yeah, boss. Yeah. You, don't, you don't need to be uh, Sergeant Gunnery or Gunnery Sergeant Hartman. Yes. Yes. Uh, that, that was a little rough, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he was fine with doing it. He does this thing where when he grabs a gun, I've noticed this with Bosworth. Now I've watched some, you know, so many performances of his and, when he grabs a gun, he does this thing where he holds it straight up, and he always moves his little finger and his ring finger right before he starts pointing it and stuff. He's got this little f- flare that he does, and the, it's just something I realized when I watched this film. I was like, this guy does that in every movie, so I guess it's like a, a little Bosworth moment there. And he always tries to work in like something from uh, from his college football days into his films a little bit. I think he, I think the some of the chant they're doing or something else is like an Oklahoma fight song or something. Yeah, I don't know. when he's driving in his Jeep uh, after. Yes. A day at, at the office, so to speak. Yes. He's, he's singing the Sooner fight song. So yes, yeah, so there you go. Yeah, which is you know a nice little Easter egg, I guess. But um, yeah, early on in this film, it, and I'm glad they got away from this because early on, you know, we're four minutes in, and there's there's this reliance on sort of swelling emotional piano music. <laughs> yes, and it was like, man, this is going to be to swelling piano pieces as hot licks are to super fights. <laughs> or the killing zone for or that the matter the killing zone <laughs> yeah yes. it was just a little too uh, much yeah, yeah there's some uh, uh, some of the stuff is kind of ham there's some stuff I mean this film is good but there is some stuff that some misfires yeah there's some there's some uh, you know some egregious errors in the filmmaking you know but it is also a product of its time it's 95 Bosworth it doesn't really show much 95, 96 it doesn't really show so much with Bosworth but once we get to our our bad guys, it really it really starts to show what error it was made in. I mean, oh, it really man. shows. It does, and it, it gets very embarrassing. You and I have often talked about on the air and off the air. The '90s were a pretty disgraceful uh, fashion and pop culture decade. Yeah. So, and it's it's on full display here. Like you had said off the air, our you know our main villain might be the first double in one nostril, mind you. The double nose ringed uh, villain we've ever had on the show, you you pointed out. So yeah, I'd be hard pressed to think of another one. Seriously, uh, he's also the first uh, uh, long haired FBI agent that throws a mean fastball. I think I've ever seen too. So yeah, throwing some heat, man. He uh, and I th- did we say this on the air or off the air that most people would know um, would know him primarily from Fast and Fifty Seven. Did we say that on? Yeah, we said that. We said that off the air, actually, because we were both familiar with Bruce Payne from that. He he typically plays heavies. Uh, I think he's an Englishman. By, yep. by I think that's where he's from. And uh, he typically plays heavy. And for some strange reason in this film, he decided to adapt almost a Brooklyn or a New York accent of some sort. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what's going on there, man. But his, his main... I'd hate to be his henchman, because his henchman must feel like I feel like when my wife's getting ready to go somewhere. <laughs> And that yeah. he's got to fix his hair for like 20 minutes before we can get out of the house. <laughs> it is a serious, I mean, he's got this blonde mane. It's like Thor, man. I mean, it's just, he 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 knew that he had to kind of try to out Boz. I think he thought Boz was going to come with the mullet, so he had to come correct with his own kind of mane. Well, gonna yeah, because be- if, if, if Boz would have came with the mullet, it would have been confusing during fight scenes, probably. So Yeah, it would have been. They had to kind of mix it up a bit, but... But yeah, that's that's how people will know Bruce Payne. He's a face. He's definitely a face that people know uh, will know him to see him. 
Um, it should be said, maybe the most uh, unorthodoxly, is that even a word, but let's just pretend it is the most, unor- most unorthodox, the most unconventionally dressed, there you go, uh, unconventionally uh-huh. dressed FBI agent in the history of cinema. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes, it's it's obviously he plays a character. I think it's, they call him Savak. Yeah, his name and, it is uh, I think Carl Savak. Is that his name? <laughs> yeah, and uh, he keeps a bunch of his henchmen are too. They're also a bunch of unconventionally dressed uh, FBI agents. Uh, it's really it's really odd. I mean, I really didn't see it coming. To be honest with you, I actually thought the first time he flipped that FBI badge or whatever, I thought it was fake. Yeah, me too, man. Me too. So I was kind of like, okay, that's the angle they're taking here. But, wow, they really give these guys free reign as far as dress code goes, you know? Yeah, I guess they're almost like the zombie squad in Cobra. They kind of <laughs> – they, they roll with what they want. Like, yeah, the one guy, Agent Tam, the uh, the Asian dude, he's got like this cropped uh, 90s motorcycle jacket with long hair and kind of like a porno closely cropped goatee. And yeah, it's uh, yeah. just an interesting uh, group of, of FBI agents, to be sure. You know, it, it, he, looks like, he looks like the uh, like the uh, the twin brother of like a dirty Mark DeCascos or something. Dirty Mark DeCascos and Al Leong. Yeah, yeah, there you go, there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, totally, he does. It's it's just yeah, that's one of the that's one of many bizarre choices in this film that one isn't a glaring mistake because it doesn't hurt the film any but there's a few things they do as we'll get into further here that do kind of harm the film a bit so but that's not one of them it's just it's just kind of an odd choice but uh i do want to say and again you know i don't want to bang on boz too much because i think he was trying to branch out from you know you you gotta eat your grub if you want to be a stud i think he was trying to expand (laughs) expand past that because there's a scene, and I wish I could just loop this clip over and over. When uh, and it's supposed to be sweet, and it's it's good enough. But I had to kind of chuckle because it's the boss when he's he's on like this this rock <laughs> this rock face with his daughter, and a ladybug flies in and goes, "Wow, a ladybug! <laughs> <laughs> you know something? We'll be a family again." And uh, it's just amazing that this he has this this inexplicably beautiful life moment with this ladybug where you just wow a ladybug yeah, that, that, that's called that's called an epiphany yeah <laughs> <laughs> he did he had this moment of clarity where he understood that the things were going to be all right in in the bosworth universe again in john north's universe yes but, i didn't uh, even know i didn't even know there were ladybugs in that kind of desert setting but i guess you know i don't i'm not really that familiar with the the habits of ladybugs either so the only no. thing i'm aware of ladybugs is it was a rodney dangerfield movie i enjoyed yes that's right man and i think <laughs> i think it sadly starred the late jonathan brandis died way yes. too young way too young yes yes very very tragic um mm-hmm. and i think emily has a crush on him if i remember her saying correctly or had a crush on him um yeah so boz's wife i can't remember her name um not the greatest decision maker when it comes to where to stop for gas. Well, she should know it's the 90s, and in the 90s, you never stop at a grocery store slash convenience store because, especially if you're in a Brian Bosworth movie, <laughs> uh, it's probably yeah. a bad idea. We should also say that Jeff, was it Cobra or Cobol? Jeff Cobra, yeah. Name Jeff Cobra. It should say. He, he he's also funny in the way he dresses because he does the whole Vato thing, the whole uh, <laughs> yeah. Southeast LA thing where he does the one button at the top type deal. And but he's the whitest motherfucker in the room. He looks like he's <laughs> he looks like he should be sp- speaking Gaelic. 
I know. I know he has these very Anglo-Saxon fe- uh, features, you know. And if you guys don't know who he is, I'm trying to think of a film that people would know him immediately from. But he's been in so much stuff. You know who he looks uh, like? He looks like the guy. Uh, he looks like a British actor that played a villain. In he looks like the guy that was in Alice in Wonderland that played like the main henchman. Um, what's his name? Ah, uh, yes. What was it? I can't remember his name. I'll get to it now. Uh, 2010. Let's see. Uh, of course, I went down too far. I know him from a lot of. He's in a lot of these straight-to-video action movies, uh, especially in the 90s. I mean, he was the go-to. He's one of these kind of go-to character-heavy guys, right? So yeah, and it he, wasn't. He reminds me. He's like a. He's like a more active version of like a Brian Thompson or something. Thinner, little more weaselly looking version of like a Brian Thompson. Yeah, he wasn't. I, oh, yeah. I was, I was mixing up uh, Crispin Glover's character in Osmond Land with another kind of fantasy henchman. I can't remember who it was now, but yeah, this, yeah, this he's guy. much more sleazier than uh, Brian Thompson. Even though after seeing stills of Brian Thompson kissing Oliver Reed, I don't know if I'll ever think of that again. So oh was. yeah, oh yeah, but no, yeah, Cobra. He's uh, he goes the way of uh, he he rocks the dickies in this. Like any good milky vato would. Let me say, let me say, this is part of my notes, but let me go ahead and get this out of the way now and see if you agree. That little kid, this little kid in this movie, I I, I don't like his acting. That's an understatement. I'd I don't fight like this his child. acting. <laughs> yeah, I really hated this kid. He was in Candyman. I remember him in Candyman. Now he wasn't like this in Candyman, but in this he tries to do. He's like a twelve-year-old gangster, and. He didn't get the memo that he doesn't have to act like, you know, he's got to take a shit every time the camera's on him. He looks ridiculous. He acts so badly that I was laughing, and, and not laughing in a good way, laughing at, like, how could a director let this happen? Here, He is easily the worst part of the film, and in saying that, um, it becomes a thing where they get too many balls in the air, and they mm-hmm. could have cut out the subplot with the boy mm-hmm. and they could have cut a few of the subplots and stream things down to about an hour and 25 or an hour and 30. Cause it's about an hour and 40. It doesn't feel long, certainly cause it's well paced, but if they had to cut it a few of these subplots, um, that they would have had, they wouldn't have had to saddle boss as being like the, the real white knight. It could have got a little more audacious and a little more down and dirty. And it could have focused on a few other things. Cause just, there's, there's some, inexplicably bizarre decisions made where the kid's a gun runner and he's going to be pushing smack and you know what's his name there Jeff Cobra's character puts an immense amount of faith in a child he's never met before with, with something that his life hinges on right right yeah he really is the is baffling I'm actually looking up Bruce Payne on I'm hoping he's, I hope he's on Facebook <laughs> I'm a fucking friend him man get him on do an interview with Mr. Payne I would love to <laughs> oh there he is is this him uh, that's, that's he looks his. a lot different without the hair, you know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, good old fucking Dewan guy. Um, he was Dewan guy for this movie. Um, <laughs> I, I love that you know we get a few little glimmers of Boz. There's not many, but we get a few glimmers. Like there's the moment when you know Boz they do that 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 edit thing where it shows like nine guys falling on the mat when he's training them. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and they, they all fall down. He goes, oh, they go, how do you do it, Sarge? And he just winks at them. <laughs> no little glimmer. Well, I mean, the guy, the guy essentially just ran over a mountain in the beginning. I think we all, the the audience is well aware that he's in pretty good cardiovascular health. Yeah, he certainly <laughs> is, man. Um, I, I got to say too, 
this police force at times it's very erratic but at times it's the most responsive police force in the history of cinema like probably within about <laughs> 19 seconds of of uh Boz's wife being at the gas station there's nine cars there oh yeah oh yeah and that happens often in some there's a couple other moments where cops just i mean they hear a gunshot they're there man yeah you got to give them credit for that i mean now once they get there they kind of shit the bed but <laughs> yeah you know, they do. They're, they're responsive <laughs> at least now we talked about the pianos and stuff in this film, but another thing we're treated to in this one, uh, in place of hot licks, are are the inexplicable cry of eagles. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> like eagles, you know that sound that that screeching they make when they're flying overhead at that majestic noise they make. We get that a lot in this film. Yeah, we do get that a lot. We get that, and it's weird. There's a moment. I'm not shitting you. There's a moment when Boz is recovering from his accident, and there's a tiger growl noise piped in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, this that's this is the curse I think sometimes of Raging Bull. You know, Martin Scorsese put animal sounds in a boxing ring. And it seems like everybody uses them now. So, uh-huh. <laughs> no, it's true, man. It's uh, it's really interesting. But you know, speaking about the whole grocery store thing, this film, at least that whole hook, is kind of like it's very much an amalgamation of Steven Seagal stuff. You kind of get Hard to Kill and Above the Law mixed together. Yeah. So. Yeah, you get that. You get you get the commando. I mean, this is like an amalgamation of a lot of action movies you've seen before, because you get the commando type of uh, plot elements slightly. They're a little different. Uh, well, actually, they're a lot different in a lot of ways. But they get it's got that kind of setup a little bit. You got the cobra. You got the higher hard to kill. You got a couple other things mixed in there. You get these big fancy high tech guns, which is a, a plot element that they've used in several movies for. You get smack because the guns aren't enough. <laughs> Yeah, you got, you got to have the cocaine in there, which always kills me when people get these big bags of cocaine. They just immediately cut them open and start checking them out and stuff. It's like, look, man, that stuff's that stuff's liquid gold. You know, you're not going to cut it out and just accidentally spill it all over the floor and then vacuum it up. You know? Yeah, there's there's yeah, there's all these. There's the military grade weapons. There's the other weapons. There's the drugs. That's what I mean. There's just too many balls in the air with this one. Unfortunately, and again, you know, a couple of them it, it doesn't matter too much, but it's when. The kid starts to really grate on you because of how he is. That that's what kind of makes you feel like, okay, enough's enough, guys. Streamline yeah. it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. They they could have they could have taken some elements out of it and stuff. I mean, uh, I was having fun with Bruce Payne's character when he, he was on screen. I was actually having fun with him too when he'd have Jeff, uh, whatever his name is there. I can't was Colbert again. <laughs> oh, Col- Col- Colbert, yeah. Yeah, he he would come on. I liked when those two were on there. He'd smack. He, he threw a fucking. I think he threw a hoagie at his face at one point. Yeah, he did. He did. And there was like <laughs> there was like um, it almost looked like baby like like squash blent pureed all over his face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was during the big uh, the big law enforcement playoffs where nobody was there and uh, yeah. a very odd Bruce Payne uh, uh, um uh, uh, I guess improvisation when he goes good eye. <laughs> yeah, he and Bjornar mentions this in his email, but Bruce Payne clearly got the memo. Like he's clearly this is a whirlwind chew it all up and spit it out performance from Bruce Payne. Yeah, he's better in this than he is in Passenger fifty seven. I like him in Passenger fifty seven, but he's he's better in this. And I've liked him in some other stuff. I mean yeah, he knew to you know he knew he had to chew the scenery up. I mean, your bad guy, your as we always say, and we've said this several thousand times, and I'm sure we'll say it several thousand more. These action movies almost always hinge not so much on the good guy, but how much charisma does the bad guy have as well? Because oh, you yeah. got to have the right foil for your hero. Because you can have a, you know, 
a great hero and have a very bad villain and the movie can be pretty lame like a lame duck so you know you really gotta you really gotta have one and so bruce payne really you know he really brought that man he really brought the uh the uh the over the topness that it needed and of course you know he has trench coats and big baggy shirts (laughs) yeah teased hair yeah this this bad guy group like i think one of my notes was uh if they ever wanted to catch these guys and figure out who's doing what man they just need to go to the nearest store and see who's buying up all the hair conditioner (laughs) yeah no doubt man no doubt you know who these guys remind me of they remind me of the crew from uh from fort fairlane yeah, yeah, that's what it's kind of like. You know, Fort Fairlane's kind of making fun of that, and that's what this is kind of like, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It really is. Um, yeah, cause, and then Bruce Payne, he's got a ton of one-liners. Like, uh, before he shoots a guy in the knees, he's like, oh, you, oh, you, you, you know, something about you follow Muhammad Ali, you just don't dance as well, and he shoots the guy's feet or something, or he's got yeah. that. There's a moment when it just had to be sort of an improvisational bit of lunacy when there's blood on his boot and he licks someone who's just killed his blood off his boot and eats it and goes tisk tisk <laughs> yeah little moments like that also it should be said uh, Clifton Collins Jr. in a very small role right oh, in that yeah. uh, that scene when he showed up yeah another doing, guy doing, doing, doing his best redneck impersonation which isn't good yeah which isn't good at all yeah good old Clifton <laughs> Collins um there is a moment when Boz, not only, see, he really was trying to stretch it out here because there's a moment when he's got to cry bedside. Um, and there's also a moment when he has to have this sort of emotional epileptic fit. Yeah. When he yeah. sees flatlining and, you know, he doesn't completely embarrass himself. Like the stuff with the crying, I got to give it up to him because I'm going to use like a, a, a soccer or football, depending on whereabouts you are in the world, uh, a football reference. You know, he's not quite Brazil when it comes to crying, but he's Sweden, meaning he keeps it competitive for what he is. He, he works hard. You know, like the stuff with the crying, yeah, it's, yeah, maybe it's not the greatest crying I've ever seen, but I've certainly seen a lot worse crying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, it's easy. Well, I mean, I can say that about all the acting. I mean, I've seen a lot worse acting than the acting in this film. I mean, this film is pretty threadbare as far as plot goes, uh, even though it does try to throw so many stuff, so much stuff in there. I still say it's pretty threadbare because it's throwing all these things in there, I think, because it knows it doesn't really have a big story, but it didn't really need all of that stuff. And, and you know, that I think the thing, the problem with that crying bit is it, this, it stays on it too long is probably, yeah. the, probably the mistake that Wimmer made because it keeps it keeps fading. Like, it's almost like a little <laughs> mini montage. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really odd, and uh, I felt bad for him because, you know, that's one of those situations where your director is leaving the actor hanging out to dry. It's, it's kind of like the... The scenario of the Mark Wahlberg talking to the plant and the happening type thing, you know. I mean, your director's kind of, you know, making you look like a buffoon. You don't even know it. Yeah, that's true. It's very true. You got to know when to hold them. I'll agree with you. It's not. It's not on a level of, uh, you know, like really bad acting. It's, it's not it's, Ryan it's, O'Neill in uh, Tough Guys Don't Dance. Yeah, and and for that matter, I got caught up in it because you know, I mean, you know, well, you, I mean, you know why? I mean, I got yeah. caught up in it because. You know that's the way it goes. I mean, I don't. I don't want to give it away because I think it's a plot point, so I don't want to say anything. But I did get caught up in it, so it it couldn't have been that bad, right? Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Now, what was bad was the fact that Hammer, who plays the cocaine baron in the film, decided that he should decorate his house like an episode of Masterpiece Theater. <laughs> yes, you can obviously tell they had Hammer for like a day, and they just shot all of the scenes in that one room. Yep, they certainly did. And another thing that's odd, that another ball they throw up in the air, is the subplot of all these kind of mid-90s Keanu haircut 
college guys that have all these military grade weapons at one point. Yes. It's yes. like I, I didn't understand that how they fit in. It was just that was kind of inexplicable. But you know, again, whatever. Um, they, we get that great convention of United Gang members of Benetton. There's like the gang that uh, Jeff Kober rolls with. There's two white guys, a Mexican and a black guy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <clears throat> yeah, lovely. Um, <laughs> you got to have all your bases covered, man. Yeah, you do. You do. Uh, we do get hot licks when the boss is on his George C. Scott, Scott in the scummy parts of Los Angeles looking for them, looking for a man. We finally do get oh, hot yeah. licks, and when he yeah. finally hits a spot where there's little meat to his investigation, we get a fantastic tattoo gun through the hand. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is used to kind of torture someone which that guy which is, is a character actor. some of the stuff that I really like you know I mean I liked how he did stuff in Stone Cold I like how he kind of would use yeah I like when he would use stuff that you know like he would use stuff around him and stuff and I was hoping there'd be more of this and that this and that in this film I should say I'm trying to get, I'm getting my words mixed up but uh, it, it's serviceable I think I think my only real gripe with the movie is that maybe and I, this sounds crazy but it it just maybe it wasn't even though it was pretty violent it just i felt like it could have been a little bit more over the top with the violence just a little bit more not not a lot just a little bit here's the three gripes i have with the film and not to say it's bad because it's very entertaining for what it is these are the gripes to keep it from being you know a pretty darn respectable action film boz is too too dialed back they have him playing too fa- face like too much of a face in this film yes Yes. Uh, number two is there's too many subplots, especially the one with the child, which also ties in with Boz being hampered a little bit by having to be the father and the face in this. And the third one is the fact that other than Savak, we get no other good bad guys. Yeah, well, Cobra's okay. He's okay. But yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't use him <clears throat> quite quite right. Uh, he's kind of a well, he's he's a really is a big time weasel in this film. He's very weaselly. Oh, yeah. No, we got a yawn going on over there. Sorry, yeah, no, I was thinking about Boz's uh, wardrobe, man. He looks like a, a dad in a Sears catalog. Yes, yes, he's the he's the toughest tough. He's the toughest bastard with ever with elbow patches. Elbow so, patches, know. he is. He wears a corduroy blazer in this, an olive corduroy blazer. Through a good yeah, portion. Doc- Dockers. Yes, I mean, and Docker. I mean, he's very prof- he's very professional. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we also, of course, it wouldn't be a Boz if we didn't get a little a little chiseled cheeks and a little tough tits. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you got to see a little bit of the crack. A little glimpse. A little glimpse. Um, you talked about that. There's a pretty good car ex- car explosion with a dude on fire and then parts of the car, like, basically hurtling toward him while they're on fire. Yeah, there's, there's some good stuff in here. I mean, I feel like it's... It's obviously an action movie on a budget, right? So yeah. I don't know how much it costs to make it. I didn't really – I don't have that info in front of me, and I don't even know if they'd have that info for this film. But, uh, you know, it, it's serviceable. I mean, Wimmer's obviously gone on to do better things, and you can see him finding his footing here a little bit. But Yeah. Yeah, no, for stuff. sure. Um, you know what? Yeah, there's the rooftop convention. There's – Uzi handguns, and there's actually a pretty well-edited fall off a building at one point. I thought like they yes. kind of they, they fall it all the way down. It was good, and I think we might have got some solid black Zubaz pants in a pickup basketball game at the end. <laughs> yes. So I, you know what? You know what's funny about the the rooftop thing? 
it's it's one of those things in these movies, and uh, we talk about it sometimes with the empty factories and stuff like that that always have working machinery. The rooftop thing never makes any sense to me. I don't even know why Bruce Payne would go to the roof as opposed to not going down. It just makes no sense. I mean, you know, why, where are you, why are you going to the roof? I mean, you know, other than the fact that you have to to have a fight. I don't know. <laughs> and not only that, why do you go to the roof looking like an extra from the Uptown Girl video from Billy Joel? <laughs> or, or Parker Stevenson on 30-something. Yeah, yeah, because he had he had blue jeans on. He had them all cuffed at the bottom, and he had the black low top like penny loafers on and shit, man. Yeah, and then he, yeah, he had like a white mock turtleneck with uh, with the black blazer with the sleeves pulled up. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah they tried to. Uh, I've had to actually start hitting the road as we're recording here. I'm actually driving across the bridge into Louisville as we speak, looking oh, at nice. the city. And uh, so it's giving me a little bit of uh, stuff here. You got any more? You got any more notes? Are you done? I only no. have a little bit more to add. No, I'm. I'm uh, okay. I'll add, uh, I, it's interesting that they brought that one convention into this film. The, not convention, I should say, but a social kind of ill at the time. You don't really hear about this too much anymore, but I don't know if this was a big deal in Canada, but it was a big deal in the States, this shooting people over sneakers thing. Oh, yeah. It, well, we didn't quite go there with the guns. I mean, there was a couple incidences of it, but not like it was in the States. Yeah, yeah. So they brought that in here, and I'd forgotten all about it. I know that sounds terrible, but... I'd forgotten all about it because it's one of those things where if you would have told me when I was a kid that somebody would shoot me over a pair of shoes, I would have told you, you're crazy, man. The world's never going to be like that. And then that's what the world ended up becoming. You know, it's it's really insane when you think about it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, man. I'm hoping there's not a big time delay on our recording now because I'm moving. So I don't know if there is. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine, but you're kind of there's kind of like a little pause in between when I talk and when you talk. So I'm thinking you're getting a little bit of a delay now, but it's serviceable. I think it'll be fine. Um, let me see here. I got. I'm holding up my notes and driving at the same time. This is about the most unsafe thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, I got to talk about the kid irritating me. The fight scenes are good. Uh, like I say, the baseball plot is pretty silly, but. It is kind of great to see. It does have a great payoff moment when Bruce Payne is uh, pitching. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that moment that happens there, that kind of, uh, that little payoff. I don't want to give it away because it's actually one of the best, one of the more fun parts of the movie. And it's a fun visual, uh, and it's pretty, almost like Mitch Kramer in Dazed and Confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not only that, but it, 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 considering what happens, it's almost like it's like it's almost like a dream sequence. It's because it's yeah. so absurd. You know? You're right. So, You're so crazy. Right. But I think you hit it on the head when you said it, man. I mean, I think the film is a very uh, competent action movie. It's a, it's a good movie. It's not a... It's not on the level of, like, uh, Stone Cold or something like that, the other Bosworth film. I mean, it's definitely better than the virus film I watched, but it's not as uh, quite as good as Stone Cold. But it's still fun. It's good to see Bosworth get back on a motorcycle. That was kind of cool. You know, he, yeah. He drives the motorcycle well, so it looked good, you know, driving the motorcycle. Although, he does live in one of those gigantic big cities where when he's on the street, there's nobody else in the city whatsoever. So, <laughs> it's one of those weird kind of... One of those weird, very busy, bustling metro areas where nobody's around. <laughs> no. So, one of those strange things. But, no, I think the film is good. I think it's worth a watch. And here in the States, you can watch it on Netflix Instant Watch. Under It's under One Man's Justice, not One Tough Bastard. I guess that was a little too intense at the time. <laughs> but uh, he is One Tough Bastard. He is. He's the boss. Yeah, so that's really all I got to add to it. You can go ahead and give your make or break and whatnot. Okay, my make or break While is... You're eating- you're eating salami still, aren't you, man? 
you know, I put it away. Um, <laughs> I couldn't resist. <laughs> I had to get into it, man. Like, did you hear it? Yeah, yeah, I heard you sawing it there, man. Oh, man, it's too good to pass up. Um, <laughs> make or break scene for me was the scene with Carl Savak stealing the military-grade guns and zipping off one-liners. Yes. yes. <laughs> because it was a pleasant surprise. I, I, this was going to be a Boz vehicle. <clears throat> Ooh. <clears throat> oh, I, was like, I fucking just ate a whole pepper. <clears throat> Ooh, a little hot. Um, but uh, I didn't know it was going to be the, uh, the Carl Savak show, so that was a pleasant surprise. Yeah. MVT, man. Boz is good, but he's too dialed back. This is all about Bruce Payne bringing it, man. <coughs> he's fantastic in this film. One of my favorite villains in recent memory in, in uh, action films. Just really great. Really nice. great. Uh, and my score for the film is a 6.5. You know, some of the misfires and, and the, the, the subplots kind of get in the way and make the bring this down a little bit, but... You know, in saying that, it is still certainly worth everyone's time who listens to our show because there's some good action. It's well choreographed. You get a great villain. You get the pause. So there's enough in there for everyone. All right. So we are in total agreement pretty much on this film except for maybe one thing. I like the last scene, the final boss fight, as Forrest Wicker's neck would call it, more than the scene with Bruce Payne. But still, that's a great scene, too. My MVT is also Bruce Payne. Uh, and my score is also a 6.5. So, very similar. <laughs> we both agree that this film is, uh, it is what it is, you know? So, yeah. No, it certainly is, man. It, uh, you know, holds up well despite some flaws. And I don't see why anyone that listens to us wouldn't dig it, like we said earlier. Yeah. And I don't think if any Hammer fans are out there, you probably want to avoid this one. He's really not in it much and it's kind of a silly role anyway. Yeah. So. It's a, it's a pretty lazy, kind of bizarre, again, another bizarre choice that didn't really make much sense. Yes. All right, so that is our review. Now, our audio quality, I should say, sounds different because in between recording the review in the beginning, we lost things, we regained things, blah, blah, blah. I'm back home. We're recording the old way. So this it really is a patchwork episode. But either way, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back and do Manhunt in the City. Umberto Lindsay, Henry Silva. We'll be back right after this. What's up, kiddies? You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, the only show crazy enough to tackle the Brian Bosworth classic Stone Cold. Welcome back. Uh, we are back with our second review, uh, Manhunt in the City, from Umberto Lindsay. Um, this is your pick. I'm going to kick it over to you for synopsis, and we'll get to talking about it here. Yes, yeah, so Manhunt in the City, 1975, a.k.a. Lomo della Strada, Fajutstizia, 
which probably was a bit of a stumble down the back end there, but that's okay. It's uh, yeah, it's a pretty underseen uh, Lindsay film. It's one that I'd seen maybe about I don't know a year, year and a half ago, and I was really taken aback by it. Um, the plot synopsis is completely fucking wrong. Uh, it talks about a drug kingpin and all this bullshit. It really, it's it's about a, a man who uh, and a common man who played by Silva, uh, whose family life is um, irreparably altered by uh, an act of violence, and he it takes it upon himself to do some vigilante style uh, maneuvers, much like Paul Kersey did in yeah. Death Wish. Definitely get the vibe. One of my notes was this may be Silva's Death Wish. Film. Yeah, Silva, you know, street law, like a Franco Nero. You know, it's, it's in that, you know, common man uh, getting revenge type thing. Which is a very visceral genre that, you know, really appeals to, I think, anybody, really. Because, I mean, that's a very basic uh, human instinct, right? So, mm-hmm. um, okay. So, um, we've said it before on this on this show. And I've never seen this film because it is underseen and uh, not easy to locate. No. Uh, so, it has you have to do some serious digging. Um, which is kind of a shame, really, when you think about some of the stuff by Lindsay that is available, and you know, then this one isn't. It's very strange. Um, but we said it before on the show that Lindsay may he may be the Euro crime guy in some ways. Not for me. I mean, hey, I love Lindsay, but I like DeLeo, no, Castellari, no, no and um, and uh, Damiani better. But for a lot of people, Lindsay is the man, and I wouldn't fault them for that because yes. he is a fantastic director. I think DeLeo, it would probably be more for me if he wasn't if he'd made more, but you know mm-hmm. he didn't make as much. But I mean, don't get me wrong, all of his stuff is quality. Oh yeah, but Lindsay's definitely in the conversation, no doubt about that. Oh no doubt, it's almost always pretty solid stuff, especially in this genre now. You know, his horror stuff is a little, <laughs> it's a little, <laughs> uh, you know, well, let's just say it's a little inconsistent. <laughs> so, yeah, it is totally different director when he gets to the horror world. But uh, yeah, this is yeah. Uh, you know the one one of his films that he may have made. I think he is known for making the last uh, quote-unquote Eurocrime film that I ever know about, which is a uh, Charles Napier Eurocrime film, which we're going to do on the show at some point. Oh, yeah. So, which ought to be fun. Um, yeah. I like Silva's look in this one a lot, man. He's very Elvis with the glasses and the sideburns, you know. Yeah. He's rocking it. Got the little wisp of gray around the corners of the sideburns. Yeah, that's right. He does. He's, he looks like he smells like Brute Fabergé. No doubt about it. <laughs> Mock turtlenecks. Oh, and he's got like the uh, the leisure jackets and whatnot. Oh yeah, the trench coats. He's rocking. Oh, yeah. About twelve minutes in, we get our first J and B sighting, and that's the first of many. Oh, uh, it certainly is. There's a lot of J and B in this film, man. <laughs> <laughs> so the film is basically a um, a revenge film. I'm not going to give away why the revenge is. Well, I mean, is it really a giveaway to give away the revenge? I mean, why? What the motive I, is? I don't think it is. Because it kind of happens uh, in the very beginning of the film. So, Yeah. Essentially, yeah. Uh, there's a bank robbery. Or no, not a bank robbery, shit. A jewelry heist. Let's call it that. Because yes. jewelry robbery sounds hard to say, so jewelry heist always sounds better. And uh, this goes on, and somehow the, uh, his daughter's involved. And it's, you know, it's 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 pretty awful stuff. Uh, you know, she basically gets shot in what has to be some of the worst shooting by a bad guy ever. He's kind of mm-hmm. he's one of those things where he's like the Tony King thing. He's throwing the bullets, <laughs> totally, yeah. you know. And uh, yeah. but it's a pretty visceral moment, and I've used that word a lot because I think this film is very. It kind of really plays on those uh, those kind of base instincts of revenge, those thoughts, you know, that go through your head if something awful was to happen to someone you love, or something like that. So, 
that motivates him. You know, he wants to get involved, and there's a bunch of political stuff going on, and stuff being said about the Italy, I guess, at the time. I don't know exactly oh, what it was like. So. Yeah, I don't know what exactly was going on over there, but you know, the city is obviously violent. This city is <laughs> this city's almost Mad Max violent sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of goes with my note of three guys at jukebox, classy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's Naples. I could be wrong, but I think it's Naples. They uh, those guys at jukebox when they crack me out, they look away, and they like the guy that licks his uh, mustache. Ugh. And then when yeah. she walks away, he looks at he looks at us. She's walking away too. Yeah, and and in that scene, it should be said, um, we get treated to the return of someone who's been on our show before and that's the singer of Thin Lizzy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that should be said. But yeah, uh, yeah then it kind of just moves around. I think that cemetery they were at, by the way, uh, I think that was the same one that was in I Am, Lo- I Am Love that uh, that uh, Tilda Swinton film. It may have been, may not have been. But it looked like it was. It looked very familiar. But uh, yeah, Silva's, you know, he's a successful guy. You know, life is good. He buys the ugliest stuffed animal in the history of stuffed animals, <laughs> possibly in the history of cinema. Yeah, it's pretty rough. <laughs> it reminds me of his uncle, so I'm glad they didn't cast his uncle because I don't know who they could have got for this film. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> no doubt, man. But, uh, you know, Silva's good in this film, man. He's, he's really got the look going. I think this is him in his prime, you know, right in that middle age time when he's really looking his best, mm-hmm. uh, where he made these European films. Oh, yeah. It's not it's not his suave kind of tough guy character. Uh, well, I mean he's tough guy to a certain degree, but it's not that uh, you know it's not the Silva smacking women type character. I guess we should say because it's not yeah indestructible. It's not like Robo Silva. It's very much he gets punked a few times and yes, you know it's very different for him. It's a it's a different role, which is why I liked it so much. Yeah, yeah, he's more of a family man. Well, a semi family man. He has he's obviously separated from his wife, and there's some issues there and stuff. It looks like maybe he works too much, something like that, probably. Mm-hmm. He's a very busy man who likes to watch dynamite. <laughs> so yeah. there's a scene where the fuse is going. It's like, is this, is this supposed to be building tension here? I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's kind of getting boring here. <laughs> Should be said his wife's played by Luciana Paluzzi, a very famous, uh, very good Italian actress. And it should also be said that uh, there, there's these these actors and actresses in this. This one is uh, you kind of really have to be a fan to really notice anybody. Um. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. You have to know the genre to know the people that are in this. And in saying that, um, some of. Oops. Hey now. Hey. Uh, second here. I hey go now. Williams. Because there's a couple guys, a couple character actors that um, I'm actually fairly fond of. Uh, in particular, a guy that works with um, Damiani a lot. And he did a lot of stuff. I guess. Really. Uh, the guy that played. Um, he played Mieli, the um, the lawyer. He was the bald guy with the mustache. Ah uh, yes, is uh, uh, Claudio Gora? Claudio? Is it Claudio? Oh, uh, Claudio Gora. I think that might be him. But uh, him and then the guy that um, the guy that's buddy buddy with Silva, man. He looks like an American actor, but I can't remember his name. But he's not. He's an Italian actor. I think almost everybody in this film is an Italian actor except Silva. Yeah, but yeah, I think so. So this is one that you know. Maybe that's partially the reason why they they have a hard time releasing this one because Henry Silva is the main draw. I don't know, or maybe that's why, or maybe there's just not a good print of it anywhere. I don't know. Yeah, there's a few lensy ones like that, like Manhunt in the City. Same thing. Uh, Silvano Tranquilli is another guy that that he plays the newspaper guy. He's a familiar face. Yeah, but again, it'd be one of those. He was in Black Belly of the Tarantula. I remember him in that. Yep. He'd have to say, and also I remember him as you said Naples. He was also in Violent Naples. I remember him in Violent Naples yeah. as well. So, uh, you know the guy I'm thinking of um, is it Luciano Cananacci 
Fuck. Oh. Anyway, I can't think of his name. He he always plays shifty characters in films. He got that mustache and he's bald on top. And it could be. Yeah, Lu- yeah, it is Luciano Catanacci. He played uh, uh, a lieutenant, but he wasn't really much of a lieutenant. He's, anyway. in, lots, he's in a lot of stuff. Uh, Confessions of a Police Captain. He's in that. Yep, he's really good in that. He's really good in another Damiani one. Um, I think I am scared. Maybe I can't remember now. The Rome armed to the teeth, stuff like that. So yeah, I mean, if you're a fan of the genre. You know, there's plenty of there's plenty of those type actors in there, but of course, I guess the main draw is going to be Henry Silva and the fact that we love him so much in this in this on this show. But um, he is still a danger to mannequins, maybe not so much in this film, but in this film he's also uh, a danger to crossdressers. Uh, he does get a little rough with the crossdressers a little bit. <laughs> he really works this one transvestite because you know he's trying. It, it's that thing that we see in a lot of films. Um, where there's revenge, it's, it's a man outside of his element who mm-hmm. is, is trying to investigate in the doors. He's getting shot in his face, and and this he thankfully has the the fortune of you know a pretty friendly transvestite who you know kind of uh, sympathizes with his plight. And unfortunately, it takes a little bit of uh, convincing Silva style <laughs> for them to get on board. You know, he roughs this tranny up real good. <laughs> yeah. So it's it, unfortunate. So I guess we should say that it's it's not. Totally silver free of the silver slap. Then I mean, the silver slap does pop up. Oh yeah. Well, it's really, he tries to see, like he does that like drowning thing where he, like he puts the tranny's face in the water. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh, Silva's character is uh, David Fanucci. 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 Yeah. Yeah. He walks around all over the place. He's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Looking all cool and shit. Oh. Um, obviously, you know. I think that, you know, a lot's trying to be said, not only about the social aspects, but I mean, Silva's character is one of these type of dads who I think, you know, feels like, you know, he wants to be the best parent possible, but maybe he was like, you know, more emotionally distant or maybe he worked too much, one of those situations, because this is something that you can easily get caught up in if you're a parent or even just a regular working person or whatever. Sometimes your career gets in the way of your personal life or whatever, and that's not really covered too much it's only kind of talked about a little bit that he was never there and those kind of things he's trying though you know you get that feeling that now he's finally trying and then this this tragedy happens so the guilt must be really awful on his character and i think silver carries that around well like it's not like like paul like paul kersey's uh, guilt is you know literally at, at the at the end of a gun at the at the barrel tip you know he's like t- constantly taking his guilt and then he's through you know some type of catharsis he's blowing these guys away Mm-hmm. To make him feel better about it, Silva's not. It's not that kind of vigilante character. It's more of a. It really you get you get the sense of a frustrated citizen who doesn't articulate as much with a gun. He just he's really just. I mean, it, it is the same thing in that he's frustrated at the the lack of um, of action and 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 you know justice. But it's yeah, it's not. I don't know. It's it's a bit of a different. I don't know. Well, it's, it's, it's the everyman type thing. I mean, it, it, that's the thing. I, th- I remember reading reviews about uh, Death Wish, and they would always talk about how it's, you know, it's like the everyman wish, you know, that you could actually blow these people away that are doing these awful things, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And, but this this one really feels like it because Silva, you know, he's a lefty, obviously. He's got a devastating left hook. Huh. Uh, but he he's very clumsy. Uh, he's, he's definitely a man who... Knows violence only through maybe what he's seen because he's not a he's not a skilled fighter. No, the fights he gets in are very sloppy, yep. which 
I really enjoyed the scenes of him, you know, trying to get away or trying to fight, and he really takes a pounding in one scene in this film. Oh, he takes a few poundings. His car gets <laughs> smashed up pretty good. Yeah. yeah, a lot of Fiats in this film, too, by the way. <laughs> a lot of Fiats in this film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and he, he, I think that's some of my favorite parts about this because, you know, a lot of these Eurocrime films, essentially what they are is they're almost like comic book movies. They're, I mean, they're almost like, you know, super, super cops. You know, mm-hmm. all the cops are always just almost superheroes. Merrily films and all these other films, they're, they're very much superheroes. And this one, he's not a cop, first of all, but it is a, a Eurocrime film uh, just because the cops are there and stuff and it's dealing with the social issues and stuff. Um, but because you get this everyman quality to it, it's kind of got a nice twist on it, which was, was really nice and refreshing, kind of like a... You know, it's kind of a different take on it. And because I'd never seen it, it was really nice to sit and watch. And I watched this all in one setting. I couldn't turn it off. I mean, I was just totally into it. It's only about 100 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think both of our films are about 100 minutes long this week. Yeah, they are. And uh, I really got caught up. There's also some uh, some nice siege-type cinema moments in it. So. Yeah, almost like a Straw Dogs. Um, straw Dogs was good. I thought of Return of Living Dead in a sense with, like... Some of this shit, yeah, like yeah. the siege on the uh, funeral home. It's, it's I mean, pretty insane. It's a small touch of it, but I mean, it's it's enough enough of a touch for it to be uh, interesting, you know, and stuff. And it's really just weird to me how Lindsay made these films, you know, and then you know, like some of his other films he made uh, later on, you know. I mean, you'd think it was like like a hack. Uh, oh yeah, making films um, later on, yeah, yeah, and. Um, Actually, I, I didn't know that that Napier film was actually Lindsay's last film. He hasn't made a film since then. Ninety-two. Yeah, no, I know. But you know, some so, of the other films he made. Um, let's see, I'm looking through his filmography here. Uh, well, I'm just looking through some of the stuff. Well, I mean, there's so much I could get into. I don't even know if I'm like, ooh, I've never seen Battle of the Commandos. I need, I need to rectify that. Oh, well, is that a? I, I know of that film. I don't know if I've seen it though. Yeah, that one's actually written by Dario Argento, so that would be interesting. Let me check that out. Nice. We need to get on that. Jack Palance. Oh, little, I've heard of it. Yeah. Little Thomas Hunter, some Curd Jurgens. That's an nice. unfor- That's an unfortunate name. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name? I'm Curd Jurgens. <laughs> I'm jerking my curd. Yeah. <laughs> but he made you know a couple spaghetti westerns, pretty good. Kill uh, pistol four hundred coffins, which I was meant to. I meant to call in uh, some stuff on that to, C, uh, to CDB when they uh, CDB uh, Cinema Diabolica when they came back, but I never got around to it. But the York crime stuff, of course, Nightmare City, Campbell Fair. I love. Yeah. Yeah. And we 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 both love Nightmare City, even though I think both of us. <laughs> No, it's not. It's not a great film, but no. you know, it's just one of those things. I mean, he makes those kind of movies, but you know, I mean, like Hell's Gate, Nightmare Beach, all these kind of films. You know, Cop. Ooh, what's Cop Target? Oh, that's with Brent Huff, I think. Uh, no, Robert Gint- Robert Ginty. So close. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Ginty yeah. Huff, kind of, kind of close. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, I mean. It, this this film though I think is upper tier for him in a lot of ways because I I really got behind the emotional value of this film mm-hmm. and I think it really worked and I really think this thing should be released somewhere. This is like Cry of a Prostitute. Why? I mean, it, well, it's not similar to Cry of a Prostitute, totally different film. But this is one of those things where it's like, why aren't why aren't these films released? Because Henry Silva isn't a box office star. He's he's a cult actor though. I mean, you would think. I mean, there's Belmondo box sets out there. There's Bronson box sets. How come there isn't this is a Silva box? You know. Yeah, it's a little unfortunate, you know. I mean, Belmondo might be a di- little bit of a different actor, but but oh, to well, me, yeah, he's definitely a different actor. <laughs> definitely a different actor. Yeah, he had the fortune of working with Truffaut and Godard and, and a lot of other Frenchy uh, 
You wave guys. Well, Truffaut should have been working with Silva. That's all I'm going to say. Should have been. <laughs> would have been should've a totally would have been a totally different film with the 400 blows. 400 title. blows, man. 400 Silva slaps. <laughs> That's what someone gets if they don't clean his shoes. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot more notes about the film. All I'll say is uh, this may not be top five for me, Eurocrime wise, but it's definitely mm-hmm. top ten going forward. I mean, it's it's up there. I mean, it's really good. It's funny. Again, this is one of those things where Henry Silva kind of popped up on our show, and we were both fans of him anyway, but we never really talked about him until we did Alligator mm-hmm. uh, between each other. And then he just kind of became this thing, and he's kind of become this enigma, this you know icon of the GGTMC and, and its listeners and stuff. And uh, here's yet another gem in Henry Silva's filmography uh, that I had never seen, and yet again, he impresses me. So it's, it's become like this wonderful discovery of cinema for me. Yeah, no, it really has. And uh, like I said, this is one that, that I like because it's it's different Silva. It's not the, the you know, Robo Silva. It's it's completely <laughs> different. It, it gets to be a little more nuanced. And, you know, it, sure, he's not the greatest thing in the world when it comes to emoting, but you can see some genuine emoting from him in this uh, compared mm-hmm. to some other films, so... Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so I guess you that those are on your notes. Yes. Um, okay, so um, yeah, we kind of talked about the vigilante aspect, and she said Bruno Nicolai did the score here. He worked with Lindsay a lot. You know, they seem to have a signature sound together, even above a little more even distinct um, in some ways than some of the other people that that Lindsay worked with. It seems like Nicolai scored a fair bit of his stuff mm-hmm. uh, had that that sound together. Um, yeah, I mean, we kind of see early on that, that this film really is going to be no holds barred. Like, right in that opening diamond heist, an old woman gets kicked in the face and then a little girl's <laughs> shot in the stomach. Yes. I forgot, just, I forgot about the kick to the face. <laughs> oh, yeah, and it's shot low to the ground, so you see that foot swing up and then her just fucking buckle. <laughs> it's, uh, it's one of those things, you know, I think a lot of times in this film, you really get the sense that a lot of these films with the Eurocrime stuff were either fantasies of the average citizen or they were trying to um, convey a more realistic emotion of citizens meaning frustrated and helpless still a fantasy but not as as cartoonish as some of the merrily stuff necessarily right right um you know and there's some nice flourishes in this that Lindsay doesn't give me a lot of credit for um like uh the way it segues from uh the robbery to the fiat the toy fiat car Oh yeah. yeah, at the department store when Lindsay or when Silva's there, and he, it's great because he has this great line where he talks about he wants to buy something for his daughter. He goes up to the the girl at the uh, the counter. He says, "I want to buy something indestructible for my year old daughter. She's an earthquake." <laughs> I just kind of laughed that he he requested something indestructible for his child because I think that's something we can all relate to. With kids. Yes, if you have kids, yes, because I'm going through a phase right now of turning on and off electronics. Oh yeah. And uh, it's not a very fun phase because uh, some of the electronics are, you know, modified DVD players, region free and stuff. And those things aren't cheap. Not not the uh, not the Blu-ray one I got. And so you know, he pulls that tray out and then he wants to basically stand on the tray. Oh yeah. Like, no no no! Don't do that, please. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. And it's they got these faces of things, and kind of got to ride the wave. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, it doesn't help that you know. People that design electronics make sure the power button is lit up, so you know that automatically draws his attention like a moth to a flame, oh, right? Yeah. So he sees that and he just immediately starts sticking the finger out and going right at it, man. Yeah. Oh, of course, man. 
No, I know. That's like my son, Braden. It's like he doesn't want his toys. He wants the dirty diaper. It's just bizarre <laughs> stuff. Right? Yeah, no, you never really know what they're, what they're going to get into. No, it's like that old thing. You, you buy them a toy instead of the toy. They want the box the toy came in. It's, yes. <laughs> yes. It's absurd. Um, yeah, another another thing I like that uh, Silva does in the Silva, I guess Silva technically, what Lindsay does is that he, how he cuts from uh, Silva holding the toy to Silva's hand pulling the, like, the slab out at the morgue to identify the body. Yeah and, yeah. and it's a jarring cut, but I think it's jarring for a reason because it's a jarring emotional moment for uh, his character and the wife. I mean, it, as jarring as it's going to get. Uh-huh. You know, definitely. Um, and it's great. There's a really great kind of harsh line when um, the police officer who's on the case says, listen, I know how you feel. I also have a daughter. And then just to stop the conversation dead in its tracks, someone says, yeah, but mine's dead. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's like the one what do you thing. <laughs> yeah, what do you say? You know, that's kind of checkmate there. Yeah. Conversation's over. Um, and then, you know, and again, I think a lot of the stuff in this, it, it's that stuff of, the characters really speaking the voice of the people that made the films because the cops are kind of lamenting, you know, this city, it's like a tinderbox. It's just going to go up at any time. And I think there was that sense around a lot of uh, cities in Italy, like Naples and Milan and Rome and stuff at the time, just fucking wild stuff was happening on with the Red Brigade and, and kidnappings and all this wild shit. It's just, uh, it's, it's really intense. Um, and like I said, you re- I really felt like this film... But it was it was the voice of, of Lindsay and the people who made making the film as opposed to just, you know, super cop busts heads. Mm-hmm. So um and yeah, I mean it's kinda just really man on the street stuff. It it's you know, people are scared, they're frustrated and you know, they would just wanna get justice. And then it even gets to the point where one of the big subplots of the film is how Silva was gonna join this sort of citizens defense league, quote unquote, which is you know, admittedly a very right-wing organization that wants to take law into their own hands and, and to show some vigilante justice. It's much like the one that Merrily joins. I can't remember the film it is now. His films all blur together for me, but when he joins the Defense League. and, and uh, But this one's a little different. But, um, yeah, it just I thought that was that was a, definitely a really great subplot. And uh, another thing that's great you already talked about is, of course, you know, Silver Rock's the trench, trench coat proper in this. Like, that thing's... <laughs> been fucking scotch guarded for days man it's just it's crisp yeah it's immaculate and not only that it, it has this nice rainbowish collar on it that just never folds yep <laughs> even yep. when he's running or doing anything else he kicks oh, the yeah. shit out of some guy <laughs> <laughs> oh the the one-eyed uh, bandit there yeah <laughs> which sounds yeah. like a nickname for my piece but uh, you know yes. <laughs> <laughs> for the silver pipe yeah <laughs> the oh, one-eyed really bandit guy. he works that guy man but uh I'll tell you another thing I love is there's a moment when when Silva goes to get a like a private investigator in the mix and he goes to see the PI and he knocks on the PI's door and this look of like it almost seems like sincere repulsion on Silva's face when he sees the private eye um, licking like the food off his fingers and wiping it on the lapel of his jacket. Oh yeah, it cuts to Silva's face. He's just like, "What's this motherfucker doing?" Isn't it? That's the same guy, right? That's uh, looking at the porn. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's judging that too. You know, he's like, you know, what a sick scumbag. Oh yeah, yeah. He wanted to give him the silver slap. That guy was lucky. He wasn't a mannequin. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, oh, very lucky, <laughs> very lucky. Um, I don't know if it was just incidental or not, but I like how full all the cemeteries feel with fresh flowers, as if to say, you know, this is happening way too often on a day to day basis. Yeah, it's a little touch that uh, you know, without having to say anything, right? So. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. Like that. 
But yeah, and we talked about Thin Lizzy and the violence for Kicks crew uh, assaulting the car with fucking chains and various other blunt instruments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, I like how some of these scenes kind of turn themselves on their ear. Like you expect Silva just to to spin around like Hagar in Final Fight and and wallop everyone, but then you you realize that you know they're trying to keep it a little more grounded in reality. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. I just looked through the film uh, the cast for a Robert Zadar film coming out called Drummer for the Mob. Oh my god. And it's a 2012 release. It stars Tom Savini, Robert Zadar, Bruno San Martino. What? How old is he? 90? And Kirk, Kurt Angle. Oh my god. (laughs) This one just moved up the list. There's a lot of chins in that film. (laughs) Jesus. And you're talking about Bruno San Martino. How old is Bruno? You're right. That is a good question. How old is Bruno now? He's he's old. 1935, Bruno was born. Bruno Lepardo Francesco San Martino. He's seventy six years old, dude. He's only geez, he's only made one film. And this, this is it. This is it. He chooses to come back in a Bruce Kohler <laughs> film. And this is a, this is a drama. How does that even happen? He's he's got to play the Brando role in it. Oh, okay. So he's done. This guy's done multiple Kurt Kurt Angle films. He's done Endgame, River of Darkness. These are Kurt Angle movies. I've never seen a Kurt Angle film. Neither have I. Might have to look into this one. Seems promising, so I might have to look into. Yeah, it. and I have no idea how I got off on that. Sorry. No, no, that's okay. I just that's thought okay. surely Robert Zadar. I saw him at a horror hound. He looked well. I mean, I'm not going to say anything bad about the guy. He might actually be on the show at some point or something. But let's <laughs> uh, just yeah, say you know. he didn't look the same as he normally does. No. And so I thought well, he probably isn't making movies much anymore with that look. No, no, I'm wrong. Hey, look, he had. <laughs> Yeah, he looked like he'd gained a couple pounds from what we were accustomed to. <laughs> you know, as is, you know, certainly in line to happen when, you know, age catches up. So we'll leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, there's one woman in this film. I tell you, Italians are known for their sports cars, but these Italian milk cans. <laughs> talk about being well-constructed like an Italian sports car. There's yeah. that one woman. I don't know if that was jeans or what it was, but... Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think insane. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, insane. Um, what else do we got here? And, you know, they talk on the marriage stuff. Again, they don't they don't juggle too much, but they talk about the marriage stuff. And, and you really see when it kind of, they get into that blame game stuff, which you see in a lot of these movies when when stuff like this happens. And it's like, you know, if you had have just done this or if you had have done that, and kind of the sad, the sad kind of descending into... Um, you know, the blame game and, and fault and guilt and, and trying to grab at anything to, to to put reason or logic into this. Right, right, which I think is, you know, if something, something tragic happens, I think it's, you know, I mean, it's part of the process, right? It's part of the grieving process, the blame thing, so mm-hmm. it's all yeah, there. Certainly. So you kind of go through that. You know, some marriages don't survive it, you know, some some get better, Uh I don't know if they can ever get completely better, obviously, but I mean, sometimes it makes you stronger, sometimes it tears you apart. It's one of those things. Yeah, oh, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, it talks about the North-South stuff and, and the kind of the, the blue-collar Southern police and the conflict of interest with some of the higher-ups and, you know, a lot of that stuff that we see touched on in a lot of these police films. Uh, it's very interesting and very compelling. Um, you know, and speaking of compelling, what's compelling is that Despite Italy being a country that, to me, might be unrivaled when it comes to fashion, 
whenever there's a club scene in an Italian film, they all seem to dance like Pacino and cruising on poppers. <laughs> yeah, they really do. I don't understand it. I just don't understand Some of the clubs it. in Italy, it must be said after watching all these films and stuff, some of the clubs in Italy don't look like places I'd want to visit. They just look like little hole in the walls with like carpet on the wall and yeah, and yeah. you know, bad some some ugly women, some good looking women. Don't get me wrong, but just a little rough sometimes. Oh yeah, I <laughs> you know for sure, man. Um, a lot of trannies in films back then. You see the tranny character as sort of informant or or whatnot. They seem to be in a lot of these films back then. Yeah, this one's pretty obvious from the get go. Very obvious, but I got to commend them as much as the characters sometimes can be one note and broad stroke. I liked it generally looked at in a favorable light and a sympathetic light. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, this, this I mean, one, played a little bit broad, but but yeah. nonetheless. Yeah, it's not it's not it's not like total comedic. Well, I don't even know if it's any comedy here. It's just no, just broad, just just over the kind of a little over the top. But uh, yeah, no, I like the I like the uh, transvestite character in this film. Yeah, sympathetic. Right, I, so. I felt bad. Yeah, I did too. Met several times. Yes. Right. I mean, yes. because I'm not even sure what happened, but I think I know what happened. Yeah, with that yeah. with that candlestick. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, I think I know what happened there. Yeah, um, it's just a regular Saturday night in Louisville, but I don't know yeah. about for everybody else. <laughs> yeah, no, certainly, man. The Roman puts the Roman and Roman candle. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> and then of course we get the junkyard scrap the scrapyard, and I mean motherfuckers are gonna fight Silva. In a scrapyard, don't they know that's home? That's that's home field advantage for Silva. Yeah, they're throwing cars at him and everything. They're throwing, they're throwing cars at him and all sorts. I mean, that's home field, man. That's he's got the pinstripes on. That's that's the Yankee Stadium. Yeah, that, that's really Silva too. They're dropping cars and it's Silva. He's like you know maybe ten feet away from a falling automobile. <laughs> man, that one car really does almost hit him. It's, it's just insane. Um, what is it with hookers in Italian movies? They're always in underpasses from highways and it always looks very post-apocalyptic with oil <laughs> drums lit on fire <laughs> no always I know. every time i see an oil drum i wonder why it isn't on fire that's how no, scarred no. i am from movie watching <laughs> yeah no it's true it's true um the city looks very gray very downtrodden which i think is certainly evoking the, the overall mood of you know yeah it's city. very it's very overcast it's like there's no sunshine in this film yeah i know for sure um, what's this? Even Silva, F E R V. I don't know what that says. Um, oh, you know, a little piece of trivia. There, there's that shootout on the boat, and I'll tell you, man. If I didn't know any better, and I would actually bet on this, that the the shootout on the boat is the exact same boat that's used in Lindsay's Almost Human with the shootout with Milian and his crew. You know, I was thinking that when I saw it. I was thinking that kind of crossed my mind too. And so I'm gonna say that you're probably right. Because it yeah, crossed it really my mind as like, well. Really looked like it. Um, you see enough of these films, you know, start to realize they use a lot of the same locations. And- yeah, especially when they get a good thing like that that they can use, right? You might as well milk it, right? Right. Um, interestingly, this film kind of turns on its ear and does something that you're not expecting it to do. And that's we have the, the bloodlust and the thirst along with David, the Silva character, but. When we see it through his eyes and through our eyes, and we see the indiscriminate brutality from the righteous hood-wearing mob, mm-hmm. we, we, much like him, stop for a second and think, hang on, 
what are we doing? Well, what what separates us? What's the distinction between us and them? And and the line is blurred between justice and revenge. And and where does it stop and start? And what's acceptable and what's not? Because we can see it in his face that he sees that things maybe are taken a little farther than than he was expecting. Right. Right. To the point where a whole fucking tray of J and B is smashed. Yes. But <laughs> so, but no. It, it, in all seriousness, it uh, yeah, it gets pretty pretty intense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Um, in fact, one of the great covers is of that mob and their hoods. It's, it's pretty great. Um, yeah. So one of my last notes: countryside, silver rock, and the olive hunting jacket with a turtleneck and a shotgun. <laughs> I mean, it's just dead men pine the countryside. <laughs> you know, you're not getting out of that, man. That's him on the fucking prowl again. Yes. He's ready to go. Um, <laughs> I don't want to talk too much about it, but I got to say that I, I, the thing that elevates this film for me, and I'd said it to you after I'd known that you'd watched it, is um, seeing the injustice in his justice through this sort of manipulation and a wonderful ending to me that really asks a poignant kind of balanced question that most of the films in this genre despite my enjoyment of them never approach asking that question mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah and especially when we see the, the the means to get there and 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 really yeah i don't want to say too much but what you know you have to see it for yourself but it, it to me is one of the stronger endings in the genre yes i agree i agree the ending's very good the finale's good and the ending's good mm-hmm. the epilogue so to speak yeah, right, right, exactly. So it is very good. All right. Um my make a break for this is the uh the green hunting jacket. Uh not not, not it itself, but that whole scene. Uh I really like the finale of this film a lot. I think it pays off really well. Uh which is odd when you consider some of the stuff that happens uh in dialogue after the payoffs and things like that. You find out some things and you're like, Ooh, so, I mean, it's good stuff. I mean, it's good stuff. And it adds a legion to the epilogue. I mean, sometimes having the make or break be the end of a film is kind of tricky, but it's all worth it to get to that point because after, you yep. know, it's over, you, you smile to yourself, right? So, Absolutely. It's good for that. My MBT for this one? Pff, come on, man. This is, for me, this is this is Silva. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like him in this one. I really wish he would have just kept the glasses on at all times. That would have been badass right there, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he takes them off. And, but anyway, he, he he's really good in this film. Uh, you see a little bit more acting from him here than you normally do. Yeah. Uh, he's usually... Um, my score for this film, it's 8 out of 10. It's a very solid film, very good film. It doesn't really drag or anything. It just keeps moving right along and tells a really solid story. So, Lindsay, hitting one again, man. This uh, this might be his, his triple. Maybe... Uh, I think I know what his homer is. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I'm pretty close to you. Again, I mean, Kel Supri's uh, make or break is the reveal. Uh, I know that's a bit of a yeah, of a cop. We got to see it though to know why we're we're praising it so much. Right. Uh, MVT. I'm going to go with Lindsay because as much as you know, Silva is great, and it's a different role for him, a bit more nuanced. Mm-hmm. I think that it took Lindsay to get that out of him, and, and my score for the film is the exact same as yours, eight out of ten. Man, it's a very good score, very good film. Yes. All right. That is our thoughts on. Uh Manhunt in the City and Salami. Uh, we're going to take a short break, come back, and I got some listener feedback. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> this 
This is Bill from Outside the Cinema. If you're hearing this, then you probably like podcasts. Logical. Flawlessly logical. Well, let me tell you. If you like horror movies, exploitation films, and underground and cult films, why not check out Outside the Cinema? You gotta tell them! www.outsidethecinema.com You're a smart motherfucker. Hey, man, I try. everybody it's time for some listener feedback um we got a little bit we don't have a whole lot because we're recording on an off night so monday night like football and like salami <laughs> yes <and> like salami. <laughs> <laughs> oh man classic i don't need <laughs> I have to hang on let me let me hit pause here all right so uh we got a few emails uh, let's see you want to split the emails here? Sure. Let's do it. Uh, there's two, so I'll let you get one. I'll get the other. So I know we have one from BK, and prior to that, we have one from uh, William. Not me, obviously. I don't, it's one from Queens, I should say. Is that the first one, though? Uh, let me see here. I'm looking myself. Oh, no. Keith. Keith, I think. Keith yes, sent one. Yes, Keith sent one. There we go. We got three of them. Okay. Two. No, I don't, I don't know. Fuck. Who goes? Who knows? Oh, yeah. I see that uh, Bjorner sent one. I didn't know that he sent one that tonight. So okay. Yes. Let's go. We'll start with. Uh, we'll start with just. No, that's the wrong one. Holy <laughs> fuck. We're just tripping all over ourselves tonight, yeah, man. Um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so this one is titled "Carl Bresden Sent Me." Keith writes, uh, Oi lads, had to dash off a quick email to y'all after Carl sent me in the direction of your podcast. I feel like I should have known the samurai a long time ago. I'm another cult film obsessive from Kentucky. Oldham County represent. Oh, nice. Uh, how close is that to you? Uh, it's not super close, but it's not very far either. It's uh, on the way to Cincinnati. It's about 30 miles from me. Oh, nice. Not even, oh, it's really close, man. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, he's of a like age and I've been doing a cult film site called Teleport City since 1998. Oh. And that's www.teleport-city.com. And that's a really great website. If everyone wants to head over and check that out, I looked into it. Um, there's some pretty good articles, tons of stuff, tons of content. There's a, an article they had about, what was it? Um, fuck. Something, it caught my eye. It was on the right-hand side of the, the, the uh, page about Zubaz pants. Oh, nice. Anyway, it's a really good site. So that's www teleport-city.com uh, Anyway, he says, I've spent the better part of the summer catching up on the backlog of your podcast and it's making the days pass pretty pleasantly. Anyway, just want to say howdy and that I'm really enjoying the podcast. I have to get back to my important work watching and reviewing all four of Albert Pune's nemesis movies. Keith Allison, Teleport City. Yeah, it's called There Will Be Zubaz. It's a shame. Uh, oh, yes, yes, that's what it is. 
good site, man. I was, I have to say, I was very uh, impressed with a lot of stuff they had. Is this site, or maybe it's about? It's a link to another site uh, called the Bootmasters <clears throat> Cabal. So yeah, but there's there's other content in there, different headings. You know, food and drink, travel and adventure. Yeah, he's got uh, Fist to Be List over here to the right, and a couple others. So yeah, he looks like he might be a you know brother from another mother, as we like to say. He certainly does look that way. So uh, yeah, let's. Uh, Let's get him in the mix here, Keith. Uh, yeah, send us some more uh, feedback, emails, blah blah blah, all the good yeah. stuff. Keep in touch. Yes, definitely, and we'll keep you in uh, in the role there, I guess. Yes. Uh, um, okay. Uh, next one is from William, right? Yeah. Uh, I hope this email finds you well. He says hello, just Hope this email finds you well. It's been a while since I've written uh, written in. Planning for a wedding is both time consuming and expensive. Who would have thought, huh? Huh. Anyway, I recently listened to a full contact John Toys episode. It's shocking that this was the first time Chow Yun Fan was on the podcast. He seems like he should be on in the Pantheon with along with Bronson or Silva. Is it possible we can do some more heroic bloodshed? Maybe a double deuce episode of for a better tomorrow one and two or another John Woo film, because I don't think you've done anything by the Woo. And lastly, what's your feelings about the mission by Johnny Toe? Okay, gents, have a great week and keep up the good work. Uh, Will from Queens. P.S. I watched 13 Assassins. Holy shit. The last 45 to 50 minutes is the best film battle scene since the Lord of the, Lord of the Rings and save, or Saving Private Ryan. So I guess he liked the battle scene. And all we can say is it was a total massacre. Yep. <laughs> so pretty uh, You know, uh, Better Tomorrow 1 and 2 would be a pretty cool double deuce, actually. So maybe we ought to do that at some point. I'd like to get some more Wu on. Uh, his stuff's pretty seminal. So and I'm a big fan. And it's, it was really one of the. One of the directors, obviously, I think for a lot of us, that really got us into Asian cinema outside of uh, conventional martial arts cinema. Um, yeah, Chang Yun Fest should be right in there, Bronson and Silva. Um, the Mission is a good quasi sequel to um, Exiled, but in saying that, it does feel low rent at times, and it is kind of, it's not as sure footing, it isn't, it isn't as sure in its footing as Exiled, but it's certainly worth a watch. And I still haven't watched it yet. You sent me that, but I have not watched it yet. So yeah, it's good. It's it's not upper level toe, but you know, still solid. Yes. All right, one more. Looks like it's from the Bjorner, the Norwegian Beef Stone Cold. Yes, here he is, BK. Um, two tough <laughs> bastards. Hello, gentlemen. This is the Nordic Bacon, the Northern Burrito, or the Norwegian Beef. <laughs> Writing to you with his thoughts on the masterpiece that is one tough bastard. First off, gunfight in a store. Where have I seen that before, eh? The Ritz crackers survived this time around, though. <laughs> MC Hammer is the drug lord? Why not? That kid is giving Ice Cube a run for his money when it comes to frown acting. Oh, God, yes. yes. <laughs> Holy shit, kid. Candyman isn't coming. <laughs> a boss proves he's not the worst when it comes to the fight scenes. He has some moves. I saw this because of my love for Stone Cold, and even though it doesn't even come close to it, it is a fun watch. A lot of that honor has to go to Bruce Payne, the hair, the coat, the nose ring, and what is uh, a, in my opinion at least, great performance. He either clearly knows what kind of movie this is and is having fun with it, or he is the stupidest actor alive. (laughs) 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 Absolutely the highlight of the movie for me, and I hope this performance hits home with the GGTMC minions. It should. To sum it up, One Tough Bastard is a pretty okay action flick with some glorious moments. I want to thank you both for making my shitty month a lot better with this pick and dedication. The GTTMC, both show and listeners, means a lot to me, and I will cherish this episode forever. Signing out, 
Carne de Nor- Noru- Noruega. I don't know, man. My Spanish isn't. Uh, <laughs> what does that even mean? Is it, it used Norwegian be. beef or something? I think it's Norwegian. I guess it must be the Norwegian beef because Carne is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's meat, right? right? No beef. Yeah, was that Spanish or, or that French? A, I know Carne. Norwegian? It's French. Yes. Because <laughs> well, how do you say meat in Spanish? I don't know. We could spend hours talking about this. <laughs> yeah, we could, but let's no. not. Bjornar, the BK. <laughs> yes. Ironically, his initials are BK and he is the beef. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he is indeed. All right, uh, we got a couple of voicemails. We didn't think we were going to be able to get to them tonight, but since we're here and we don't yes. have a whole lot of feedback, let's get on them, shall we? Yes. Let me yes. Uh, uh, hang on. I have to actually download them because I'm not prepped. Uh, here we go. I think this first one is from Christine. Let me see if it'll play. Actually, it won't yet because I'm still downloading it. <laughs> Give me a minute. I know we only got two, so it should only take a second. Hang on. I sound like an idiot. That happens, man. (laughs) All right, here we go. Voicemail number one. Number one. Hi, gentlemen. It's Christine. Um, I had to call in, and I had to support Roop. Um, I paused the middle of the podcast because I felt very passionate about this topic. He was actually talking about Amber Heard and Drive Angry, and... I think she is gorgeous in that movie. I think her hair looks spectacular in every scene. You know, despite all the, the kidnapping and the, and the fights to the death, she has gorgeous hair. And I actually enjoyed most of her costuming. I think whoever styled her did a fantastic job. Um, and I also think she's very likable in the film. I thought she was good. Except that, that, that point where she's driving and she's singing that awful song. I'm sure anyone who's seen it knows exactly what I'm talking about. I refuse to utter the words. That she sings in that song because they're so ridiculous. But um, I really enjoy that movie too. I brought it on Blu-ray. I've watched it in, since I saw it in the theater. I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's ridiculous, and the CGI looks terrible, especially on Blu-ray. But um, I really enjoy it. So I had to support Roop, and I'm sure I'm late to the game. I'm sure a million other people have called in <laughs> and said how smoking hot she looks in that movie. But she does. I respect your opinion. Her shorts are kind of ridiculous, like the highways to joints. But that's kind of. I don't know. I guess they were going for some southern thing. I don't know. Rick, do they wear shorts like that down there? No, uh, they don't no. wear them in New York. I will talk to you guys soon, and the shows have been great. Love ya. Bye. All right. Christine, I've heard from her a while. But, you know, hey, you know, I can see where people can be a fan of Drive Angry. It's not like it's that kind of movie, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it's it's a it's a kind of a goofy little fun film. I mean, I don't think it was, it didn't hit on all cylinders, but I'm I didn't no. turn it off. So no, no, exactly. it had, had its moments. Um, but still have to disagree. Amber Heard was not hot at it. She did have. I will admit though, she did have magnificent hair. Yeah, I mean, she looked fine. It was just I guess it was Daisy Dukes. <laughs> she looked like Bruce Payne with Daisy Dukes. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Did she have a nose ring in it, actually, or no? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but I know she didn't have two. So. Yeah, she didn't have two. She didn't top the pain. Look <laughs> like Bruce Payne and Daisy Dukes. I friended him on Facebook. He's only got 43 friends in there. That's not cool. That's not cool at all. Everybody go out and friend Bruce Payne. Tell, Tell him you're fans of his performance and in one, The one, one and Only One, one Tough Bastard. Yeah, and tell him that uh, GGTMC sent you over. Yes. <laughs> That'd be nice. All right, one more voicemail, and we are outsies. So uh, I don't even know what outsies means. Here we go. Gentle, sweet boys. This is Talk to Zom. Um, Gentlemen, I just wanted to call, and this week I'm going to champion two movies. I'm going to put on the gloves. 
I'm going to slide on my hand wraps and then put on the glasses. Um, but anyway, gentlemen, uh, two movies that were one was a a knockout for Doctor Zom, and the other was mm, it was um, let us say very very entertaining. <laughs> Uh, The first one was called Safari 3000, and it starred David Cavardine, Stocker Channing, and Christopher Lee. Uh, This movie rocked my world. (laughs) And I hope that I'm not sounding hyperbolic for those who seek it out. But uh, I really enjoyed it. It was just a damn fun movie. Uh, David Carradine, i got to tell you, wow, I don't think he ever was looked loud. better than he did in this movie <laughs> as Eddie Miles, a stunt driver we gotta make who this is going quick. to <laughs> this is drive time. in an African rally. Uh, all these rally cars driving around, lots of great scenery, lots of great uh, shots of uh, the wildlife over there, and some of them were, I mean, just outstanding. It's a good movie, um, Safari 3000. And, as I posted on, ooh, I think the Facebook uh, Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, playing Class to Trash since 1977, um, <laughs> uh, we actually got to see a big elephant taking a shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, it's a it's a good movie. It's kind of got a little Smokey and the Bandit-like uh, love affair, you know, that kind of develops there between uh, Carradine and Stockard Channing, and um, I really liked it. it. They had a lot of chemistry together. Uh, Christopher Lee and his um, his uh, navigator uh, were hilarious. And, uh, you know, sometimes you would see someone like Christopher Lee in a movie and um, think, okay, he's cashing a paycheck. He's probably ready to just, you know, vomit his guts out with just about every line he's saying. But it seemed to me, and this is just from Dr. Zom's perspective as a mysticist and um, (laughs) master of hypnosis. Masturbator. That he was having a very good time. And uh, just his helmet alone rocked. Which helmet is he talking about? The German uh, okay, let's move along. Oh, I thought you were talking about the one in his pants. Low on time here. So was I. Um, <laughs> the second movie was called Rico, a.k.a. Rico the Mean Machine. Machine. <laughs> and this movie stars Christopher, Christopher Mitchum. Mitchum. Nice. And I must say, gentlemen, it's two things one. about Christopher Mitchum. <laughs> if I once said that Jen Michael Vincent was the golden goddess of... <laughs> Cinema. Uh, Christopher Mitchum was giving, his, giving him a run for his money in this movie. Uh, Jim Michael Vincent looks like a Greek god in The Mechanic as he is a chiseled statue with his blonde hair flowing like Apollo. Um, but Christopher Mitchum doesn't have the physique but he does have hair that would give Marsha Brady a run for her money. Um, and let me tell you, people, if you want to see a lot of karate chops in a movie, 
you will see karate chops <laughs> yes, you like you've never seen before in <laughs> Rico, the mean machine. Uh, Christopher Mitchum, just, uh, yeah, he's got it going on in this movie. And uh, he tomahawk chops people uh, probably more than Wahoo McDaniel ever did. Oh. <laughs> I liked it. It was entertaining. Um, so seek these two out if you get a chance. I would like to hear from anyone who's seen the films. Uh, let me know what you think. This is... <laughs> oh. Oh. Doing James Mason or Christopher Lee can give you a parched palate. <laughs> Dr. Zom saying Zom. Alright, that was Dr. Zom. All I can really add, I mean, he had a lot of stuff there, but all I can really add is there's a lot of, there's well, not a lot, but there's a good handful of fun Christopher Mitchum films. So, Oh, God, is there ever? So, we'll be doing some more. We haven't, actually, I don't, have we ever had him on the show? I don't think we have. We need to very soon. Need to get him in that, that Frank Stallone and him film on there. There's a number of them we should be getting into. Alright, so that is Absolutely. the big show for this week. And- no, in saying that, I can't even do pleasantries. I would love to, but okay. my wife is sick. My baby's been up three times in the past 20 minutes. Uh, let's say this. We, what are we covering next week? We are covering, uh, on my end, a cinema de bizarre pick, uh, The Boogans. Yes, and my pick is going to be also from CDB, and it's going to be a spaghetti western from a very, very loved director of ours, Enzo Castellari. It's going to be Johnny Hamlet. It's going to be a very good, very diverse episode. Johnny Boogans coming at you live next week. <laughs> yes, Johnny Boogans. Sounds like a tricky nose problem. All right. Yes, it does. All right, Will, I will talk to you later. Everybody yeah, else, sure. we will see you on the flip side. We'll say adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at 206-666-5207. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.